Hey, does your marketing effort include asking questions? Well, I sure hope it does, because when you ask questions, you provide a better service and product to your patients and members. We thought we'd take this one step further. In our updated software, Trust Driven Care, which you can check out at trustdrivencare.com, we added in a whole survey module. Now, why did we add this in? Well, over the last five years, surveys have become wildly popular as a great way to get information from prospective clients and even current clients. You can ask surveys about how are we doing? What exercises do you like the most? You can even send a survey a year after somebody got discharged to ask them what they remember about your office. Those things can help refine and build your marketing efforts. They can also help refine and build your customer service efforts. But we thought they were so important, we added an entire module of surveys to our software. Based on the questions, automation can happen. Based on the answers they give, you can send them access to a course, or you could send that person into a different website, or you could automatically register a task for somebody to reach out to them and call them. Let's say if they weren't satisfied or their back still hurts, give them a call. But surveys are so powerful, and that's one of the new features that we added to Trust Driven Care. Check it out at trustdrivencare.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. This is Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm excited for you to be on this journey. Look, when I started my Clinic Gym Hybrid back in 2013, I didn't have a place to go for resources. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we're here. I hope you dig this interview. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm joined today, I guess you're a doctor, right? Doctor of physical therapy, Carlo Arciaga. Yeah, you can call me that. Well, for my listeners out there, uh, you may have seen in our Facebook group or in my post that um, back in late July, I blew out my quad tendon. I had surgery, uh, and Carlo has actually been my—I guess I could say—my personal physical therapist. You know, you've been guiding me through rehab uh, since the first week in August. So, uh, yeah, for those listeners, that's how I came across Carlo, and I'm excited to talk to him. Over the, over the time we've been going through rehab, you've shared some interesting ideas, and, um, and I think that uh, they could lead to a very interesting conversation today. So with that, can you introduce yourself and tell everybody you know, a little bit of your background? Sure. So as mentioned, uh, my name is Carlo Arciaga. Um, I graduated from Toro University in Nevada here in Las Vegas in 2017. And I've been working with um, the same employer, that being Tim Soder Physical Therapy, uh, since I graduated and uh, really uh, have felt blessed uh, with a great team and staff uh, that have been able to take care of me for the last um, six years. Um, I really haven't had any plans on moving just because I've been able to kind of develop my own identity and be able to also help kind of new uh, new employees uh, kind of gel into the system that we have in place there. Um, but as far as kind of like my certifications or some of my kind of career path choices, um, I recently earned uh, OCS or which is called Orthopedic um, Clinical Specialist Certification in 2023. Um, I actually had a, quite a wild ride with that. It actually took three years to actually get that because I failed the first two times. Um, a lot of that was mostly, mostly due to just academic um, academic challenges. You know, I'm not the best test taker, but um, that's essentially water under the bridge now. So now I'm essentially certified. Well, typically I find that if you're, if you struggle academically, it means you're a hell of a therapist. And then conversely, <laughs> just, the person that graduated valedictorian is usually not the best hands-on. Perpetually, perpetually inclined to believe that nothing matters and everything, everything is, it depends, yeah. you know? So therefore there is no such thing as a correct answer. There's just maybe a situationally best answer. Yeah. So, um, but essentially a lot of what I've been looking at nowadays is, um, 
I focus really much on just kind of speaking to patients. There's something about, mm-hmm. there's some, there's value within the narrative you drive within therapy and a lot of benefit and actually la- and also harm can be inflicted um, based on your approach um, simply by your words alone. And so I try to let people know, especially young clinicians, that your book knowledge is worth nothing if you simply can't get along with your patients. And right. so I've been trying to kind of let people understand, like, this is how you treat patients in this day and age, especially here in the U.S. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you've done a great job, like, as I've been, you know, in your clinic for multiple times a week, like seeing you take like the young providers under your wing or instruct um, uh, student providers, like, here's how to approach this. Here's how to talk to them. And I think it does. I think they're lucky to have your approach on the front end of their career rather than having to discover it through mistakes and angry patients. And I would say, you know, you guys, just for everybody's kind of map here, uh, what are there four physical therapists on on the floor at any time? Four and plus another six PTAs? Four and five. Yep. Four and five. And so uh, it's a fairly, I would consider it a large physical therapy office, private office. And there's three locations here in Vegas, which would make it one of the if we don't include like the the national groups, it's one of the larger uh, privately owned like PT groups in our area, right? I would, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, you're working with multiple people, but I would say there's never a sense in that facility of the doldrums of physical therapy, of the boring, of the, you know, learned helplessness that I think goes on with a lot of physical rehab. And so I think that's a testament to you guys and your approach and your attitude and and communication style that, you know, the same exercise done in a different environment will produce a different result. It's not all, you know, the uh, freaking myofibrils and, and motor neurons, right? Like there's other aspects as well that we have to consider. Yeah. So a fair point, you know, um, one can argue that you can watch five patients deal, do all the same exercise all at once, but those are five patients with five different points in their plan of care with different symptom behavior, different location of pain, but the indication for that exercise is, is different. So while we'll talk about it later, I'm sure in our conversation, but I feel like the internet has essentially sensationalized exercise to the point where you really have to do the most complex, you know, rotational multiplanar groovy hip exercise to produce a result. And um, last time I checked uh, movement is medicine. So (laughs) I would rather just have them do a simple exercise that is very easy to teach and rather have them do this multi, you know, highly compartmentalized um, movement that they cannot necessarily reproduce. Yeah. You see, you see it a lot in these uh, kettlebell coaches, you know, it's like they, no matter what you do, you have to flip the kettlebell over at some point uh, dynamically, you know, because that definitely produces all the results. Like yeah, kettlebell it's almost swings like every- with a flip is, is four times more effective than just kettlebell swings i'm sure right it's like, like every exercise has to like embody a turkish getup it, it, it does not like there's there's nothing yeah but then I, put I your don't own name that, on it you know like you can't call it a turkish getup because everyone knows what that is so you have to call it a come up with some foreign country that you the, know nobody the, knows the swedish like a, pull-up or something like that you yeah, know exactly. like, i don't know but when you're filipino you should do like the filipino getup you know and like <laughs> it's completely different and you know it uh we could sell it we could sell seminars on it so yeah, but I've just been, you know, um, through Josh and I as working together, um, him as my patient and I'm as his therapist, we've kind of fell into this academic discourse every single session. And I don't know if we turned heads or people were like, 
I guess, essentially actively avoiding us because of how rich our conversation was. But (laughs) I couldn't help but I couldn't help but essentially realize realize that you, Josh, you you look at you look at a side of rehab from a much different lens than I do. And that is a a lens I need to look through because I want to see the professions as a whole, you know, from like essentially a sky top view. You know, now now that I'm a clinician, I'm essentially you know, on the floor and only on the floor. I don't see it in a much more macroscopic scale like you do. I actually see it on a microscopic scale. Yeah. To be fair, give yourself some credit there because you're acting as a therapist. I'm not acting, I'm not doing an academic exercise when I'm getting rehab, right? I'm Mm -hmm. I'm zoomed out because I'm receiving. So I don't have to think about healing times and and you know all the all the did and so you've never seen me in the I've never the roles have never been reversed. So I may fall into that same, you know, in the weeds kind of thought uh, when I'm with a patient as well. I don't even know. Like I, I, I can't be objective about myself, you know, sure. but, it, but it is interesting because uh, one thing I do want to talk about is Carlo and I have had great discussions about like the role of social media in each of our professions. And I think that that would be a great jumping off spot um, because as a Cairo versus a PT, you know, one of the, you could say the greatest, it's a double-edged sword. You know, if we, there's something magical about seeing an adjustment or joint manipulation in an Instagram video, right? And if you're going to make a 15, excuse me, a 15 second reel about a treatment, man, joint manipulation works great, right? Because it produces a sound. The person has a big reaction. It looks crazy sometimes versus, hey, let's make a, we've talked about this, a 15 second reel about what six weeks of rehab, you know, rehab exercises like and unless you're going to do a ton of editing of you know before and afters like there's nothing that exciting about my 11th uh, terminal knee extension exercise right like this is boring it's just boring to watch there's not much movement it doesn't produce a big sound or emotional response but then as you've seen like it that same power can lead the conversation astray and that's something you picked up on yeah. And so I, I recognize that we, we, we work in an industry that is so service minded. So it does lend itself toward allowing instantaneous short term results from these manipulations and, and adjustments to, to sing quite well. And yeah. if you're flooding the media with millions of views, accessing a tremendous amount of population when they physically arrive to a clinic, it creates this false sense of expectation that they're going to receive the same miraculous result. Yeah. So, so do people expect that from you guys? Like when they come in, do they, do patients ever request it or, you know, Oh, can you, I don't know what their language is, but can you crack my neck or crack my back? I've seen it on videos. Do, do you get that? Not often, unless the, unless the patient has been directly referred from another provider where they had a lot of recent success with such um, interventions and they'll probably push it, but it's okay. not, it's not common. But I will say okay. this. I think bottom line is they still come in expecting to receive some type of service. And so, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and sometimes in the world of physical therapy, you know, providing them like, you know, lifestyle advice or act- activity advice is an exercise isn't a service. That's advice. And they don't they don't consider such a thing. Oh, interesting. People. So you're saying they come in expecting you to go hands on. Essentially. Even when hands on may not be the, the thing they need at that moment. Like, right. If your professional opinion might be you need advice and, and whatever you want to say, lifestyle modification, blah, blah, blah. That might be the best treatment for that person in that situation. But you're saying that patients, there's also, there's oftentimes a disconnect because they're like, I expect you to 
give me the old, you know, like hands-on, do some manual therapy, uh, stretch me out, et cetera. Right. Right. And social media creates that barrier now because essentially as you get a lot of, even in the physical therapy world where therapists are essentially, if you look at their reels, it's all exercise is 25% of it and manual therapy, 75% of it. Cupping, needling, you know, flossing, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to do, voodoo bands. It just, it's still very treatment manual intervention focus. And so I think it does, it does change the expectation of the patient for those who are informed when they arrive to our office on what they, what they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I, I, uh, I recently had a conversation with a colleague and he had an interesting point about when you use different modalities and, and he had a, I thought that was an interesting psychological observation. He said, if you use something like laser there, oftentimes there's no physical perception by the patient, right? If I'm lasering your glutes or your erector spinae, you may not sense anything other than I'm just waving my hand back and forth with the wand or the wand is, you know, you know, the head of the laser unit is on your skin, but otherwise there's not any sort of takeaway feeling. And then if you think about something like shockwave, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, when the machine was turned on, right? Like there's no mm-hmm. question. And he was saying that he sees a lot of uptake and um, treatment plan completion in shockwave and versus laser even though they're both producing for the specific case you use them for, they're both producing great results. And his perception is when the patient can't tell or they don't know they got treated, like in the laser, you don't know if it's turned on or off. You just felt the wand going up and down. Um, that they don't psychologically buy off on it as much as when you're in shockwave and it's that input or that stimulus and they go, oh, okay, I was treated. That seems to carry through with their uh, treatment plan. Yeah. So. I thought that was an interesting uh, thing. And I wonder if needling's in that same boat. Uh, needling is likely in that same boat. I think it's currently being academically evaluated as to whether it's doing exactly what we think it's doing. Um, we think it does have a super spinous effect mostly where it does, it does affect, you know, inhibition and all that. Um, but funny thing you say that because I just picked up on social media. I don't know if you follow Adam Meekins. Do you follow Adam Meekins? I don't. Uh, uh-huh. He's a physio out of uh, Australia, New Zealand. And he okay. posted about a study where they assessed basketball players back in the day uh, over, I think, one game. So they did all, they, they took one day of basketball in the NBA and they assessed players who were physically touching each other, whether that's fist bumps, you know, like a, like a slap on the hip or, you know, like any kind of like cheering and handshaking. And they found that the, the teams that were doing it more often performed better statistically. So not even win-lose, they just statistically were performing better than in past games. So interesting. So again, the the power of touch likely is influencing some type of, you know, neurologic drive to improve whatever experience mm-hmm. they're trying to go through. And yeah. That, that that's a conversation that's really tricky, right? Is that we're 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 trying to essentially move forward with therapy, we're move, moving forward with chiropractic, and you want to improve people by making them move. But if we're continuing to get this extra increased information that the power of touch is very powerful. How do, where do we go? Where, I mean, what, what, what direction do you take? And do you, I mean, I think you blend the two, but yeah. I still think it's such an uphill battle to motivate patients to then right, realize that manual therapy is, is just a component and not necessarily the only like, you know, available or the only yeah. good treatment. And maybe, you know, it's like in, in sales, they say like, let the person buy what they, what they see, not what you 
you know, so if you're offering an Apple watch and you're like, oh, it can sense heart rate and it can do this. And they're like, you know, uh, I just want something, you know, I work as a, as a baker and my hands are always dirty. So if I can just see my messages on my wrist, it'd be so much more convenient picking up my phone. It's like, cool. That's what you're buying. And with our patients, if their perception is I'm buying the, the cracking and popping, but really we're still delivering that along with the exercise. Is that, is that acceptable? You know, and in the, in those times where you're like, uh, you know, mixing the, the exercise and hands-on, like, what about, maybe we should be focused on how to maximize that. So your PTAs take me through, let's say 10 exercises. Should somebody come over at, at after exercise three and just do a, a even if it was fake, a, a range of motion test or something where they're just going hands-on with my knee, you know, and I go, my perception would be as a patient, oh my God, this is such an amazing service. I'm so glad that they do this, blah, blah. And really that offers very little information or very little improvement, but the perception of improvement is very high. Um, yes. And you, and you see that a lot with some of the chiropractic videos that I've seen where yeah. they'll perform a treatment and they'll, they'll readily ask a patient, can you touch your toes? Can you produce a movement that was originally painful? And if it suddenly becomes either better, whether that's objectively visibly better, where it's, they're moving more or they, they feel less, they essentially are seeking out praise. They're like, like, you know, and maybe, maybe that's what we need to do more is essentially, if you want to improve the patient experience, we have to find a way to validate those, those choices, even in the, in the context of exercise. Like if I were to choose, you know, it's interesting in our clinic, we do manual therapy with all of our patients. It is something company policy um, that they want us to do. And um, I've had, you know, conversations on whether or not that's absolutely necessary in all patients. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's definitely mm -hmm. not necessary. Um, but I'm a staff employee. So the takeaway message You're saying from a research perspective or best practices, it may not be necessary. It may not be necessary. If you want to use my time effectively yeah. for those who don't need it, I can definitely help you in some other, in some other, you know, capacity. But um, I follow suit with what my employers want me to do. And that being said, I've learned that when there is a different type of benefit you can provide to that patient by simply touching them. And so, sure, I may yeah. think that maybe in this, in this situation, if an ACL patient's eight months out, I don't need to rub your leg anymore. But mm -hmm. I still think there's some benefit from that session if I were to work on them. So, Carlo, that's an interesting area to talk about because, like, if, if we can scrub your employer off of this, like, Obviously, there are policies and procedures they ask you to follow that, you know, like, and that's fine. Like that, that's their, that's their method of doing it. It's totally cool. But I have always found it interesting at, um, that at your place, mostly the PTs are the ones doing manual therapy, right? Mm -hmm. And the PTAs are guiding through exercise. But what's interesting is I don't think I've ever had a PT at your location guide me through an exercise, which is, 100%, 180 degrees antithetical to what we perceive as chiropractors that you guys do. Like you deliver exercise, right? And I'm like, well, no, not there. They do evaluations and then they do the manual therapy and advise on the exercise. But the exercise is usually assigned and, and observed and coached by a PTA, which is I, when I realized that I was like, huh, that's weird. Like I don't see the PTs doing rehab with people. And I think many of us chiropractors would perceive that that's the majority of what your time is spent doing. Okay. I didn't, I, I didn't know that that was kind no, of, but we might be wrong. Like we're, 
we might, that might be a stereotyping by me or by my profession that really it's not true. For example, it's not true that chiropractors spend 80% of their time adjusting patients. It's a large portion. And in some clinics, it's the main uh, therapy offered. But there's plenty of evaluation, talking, ADL, you know, all those other things. And I think sometimes people think we just, you know, adjust, 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 adjust. See you later. Yeah, you know, um, I'd be curious to know how it would work if we were to flip that, you know. Uh Uh, And if we were to essentially experiment with that idea where my time is only spent on the gym floor, taking people through exercises versus Uh having an assistant carry out an easily, you know, replicated manual treatment plan, you know. Um, Yeah. I... I haven't really thought about that. And you raise, you raise a, you raise an interesting. Cause one, one time, I, uh, one of your PTAs did manual therapy on me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had the student do the student, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do you call it? Student therapist, student therapist. Yeah. I, I think MDs really nailed that. They go, Oh, this is our resident. This is our fellow. It's like, yeah, they're students. Like don't dress it up. All right. <laughs> <But> anyways, <laughs> we should do that. You know? You should call your students for now. You're the, you're the resident, you know, anyways, Jeez. um, we say preceptors, you know, but anyway, either way I've had them do male therapy on me. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would say that the majority of what I've received has been, has been from a, from, I mean, the majority of it's from you, but if you're not there, like if you're off that day, it's always a PT that's delivering it except for maybe one or two visits I've had. Yeah. 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 I I just have, you know, I think the understanding is that physical therapists have a wide breadth as does your profession of different tools in our toolkit and how to harness that will be individualized by therapist to therapist, patient yeah. to patient. But I guess the hard part now is that, you know, we don't have a gold standard approach. I think we're trying to find one, but I don't think there is one. No, you know? the, there isn't in any... <laughs> I, I would agree. I mean, you look at something as simple and as low back pain. Let's just say mechanical low back pain. Let's say there's no structural disruption at all. And it's like, there's not a gold standard accepted approach with that. And that's yeah. a fairly easy, simple thing that the the well-researched and everything. Uh, I don't know. Is there a gold standard approach for ACL rehab? Uh, not, not, not in terms of how to rehab, but essentially how to predict um, standards yeah. for like predicting or sorry to prevent future re-injury. Yes. But otherwise in terms of how to approach ACL rehab, no. Yeah. And that's a, again, it's like, it's, it's well understood. It's well researched. We know the markers, like we know risk factors and stuff. And yet there's not a standardized gold standard approach. So let alone in, in the profession, but going back to the previous question, let me just ask you this real quick. When you were in school, did you are you guys uh, taught that you're going to do a lot of exercise? No. Really? So here's the funny story, right? So in my education, and I can only speak on, on my education, uh, sure. therapeutic exercise constructed of eight weeks total. Eight weeks. Over so we're talking a three-year coursework or almost, something like that? Yeah. We're like, let's say two years of, of, of being in a classroom. Okay. Eight weeks is literally spent doing exercise. And that is a, a huge fault to the profession. Because um, you think about what I do, like that is, that is arguably two thirds of what I need to be doing, you know, like, yeah. And here in school, um, funny thing, the board exam doesn't test you on exercise at all. 
There is no such. There, there's, they'll tell. They'll say what exercise recruits like the gluteus medius the best, which is an anatomy question, not an exercise question. Yeah, um, you should be able to answer they, that after your bachelor's degree in in AP, right? Like in taking like, like a basic kinesiology yeah. exam, exactly. And wow, they don't have questions on like, okay, your patient walks in and they're now all of a sudden complaining X, Y, Z. You previously made them do this. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do next? We have no such um, no such um. Uh, rhetoric in our uh, board exam, and so Jeez. huge fault to the profession. I think there's a big gap in knowledge when 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 uh, the therapists enter outpatient, at least in the orthopedic sector, yeah. where they significantly lack knowledge and exercise. Yeah, um, and so I see that with my students all the time. If you working, if you did were not a mover, not an athlete, you wouldn't you didn't exercise recreationally, and you come to ortho, you're going to struggle, and it's not even your fault. <laughs> it's it's not, it's not this it's not you know it's not your fault that you did it weren't weren't exposed to that you would hope that school sure. would expose you to that but they don't yeah wow that's that's surprising to me i guess one thing too to consider in this like you know when you when you uh go to chiropractic college you get out most people are going into what you guys as pts would call outpatient ortho right mm-hmm. almost everybody's private practice almost everybody's the single like the number of providers at a location is like mostly one sometimes two or three, but you know, there are PT PT clinics with 11 therapists on site. Very rarely we see a chiropractic clinic with 11 chiros on site. Right. And then you got a lot of your profession goes into hospitals, right? Hospital-based rehab and, and uh, rehab centers and nursing homes. Like the, the breadth of physical therapy is much wider than I think what chiropractic is, which is almost very few hospital-based chiropractors. Very few. The VA is actually pushing that a lot, which is fantastic. Nice. They've been, yeah, they've been having a lot of success there. Um, wow. So that's surprising that eight weeks of, of uh, f- like physical rehab or exercise, that's, that surprises me a lot. And like, and like, what's crazy, right? Is that we, you know, we take, we take coursework on how to get people out of bed, how to get them transferred onto a wheelchair, into their vehicle, yada, yada. Yet, we don't get any education on how to construct a 60 to 90 minute rehab session. So if I'm working, if I go to the hospital, I literally don't know what I'm doing. I mean, yeah. I literally, I, I assume that I'm going to get people out of bed. I assume I'm going to take them on a walk, but I have no understanding of what adjustments I should make yeah. once I, once I watch them walk or watch them move. And we well, to be fair, it's the same with like, if you look at the NSCA of personal trainers, NSCA and ACSM are teaching a lot of stuff that does not include how to put together a program for somebody that's paying you money at a gym, like mm-hmm. which you think would be the core of the program, but it's like, Oh no, you're certified. And when you're certified, your ability to write an exercise program is about as good as you were uncertified. You know, it has not improved at all. So that, that is interesting that that is the, the street level activities of what to do are always, almost always left to the OTJ, the on the job training, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than making that a large portion of of what we see in the education, uh, let me ask you a different question. When I would love to get your perspective of this, you know, really smart uh, doctor back in the day told me we were talking about um, uh, uh, epidurals, and he's like, "Oh my god, you know, thank God for epidurals!" And I, I mean, I was like, probably one or two years into practice, I was like. Thank God. What? I said, most of my patients say they don't work. Like they say epidurals are horrible for, for low back pain. They're not effective. 
And he brought up a good point. He said, remember, the successful epidurals are not walking into your office. They're at home. They're back to doing normal activity. They're not seeing you. You're seeing mostly people that have failed an epidural. So your perspective is skewed. And he's, then he said, remember too, your successes are not walking into my office. Only your failures are, you know, like my perception of most car, his perception of most chiropractors in the area is they're not doing effective work. He's like, but the only reason I would have a patient from a chiropractor would be that whatever they tried didn't work. So it's a perception issue. But based on your perception of, of patients that come in, I'm, I would guess that Many of your patients have seen a chiropractor before or have gone to a chiropractor. Um, right. So uh, more often than not, either one have tried and had minimal success or diminishing success or two yeah. or are like, you know, scared of the idea of getting adjusted and they just actively avoid you. Yeah. So I'd love to know your perspective of that. Like, um, what do those patients say when they say like minimal success or whatever you said, no success? Are you... In those patients, are you playing the role of second opinion or, hey, I have the same condition and I'm getting treated for? By I you? don't, I don't, I don't approach them any differently other than other understanding that if they've had past experiences with the chiropractor with no success, then it makes, mm-hmm. it would inform me that I shouldn't do a similar manual therapy approach with them in the future. Uh, that I'm again, assuming that they, that mm-hmm. this is the, assume that you are only performing any kind of adjustments, which is most often the case what I've gathered from their narrative. A matter of fact, um, somebody yesterday who I just evaluated who was having ridiculous cervical complaints mentioned that she went to the chiropractor twice a week for a month with like, quote unquote, minimal success. And Mm -hmm. so um, I didn't elaborate further on that because I, I, in my mind, if you're already saying that there's a negative outcome, I, I, going back to my communication approach, me making you talk about it more is only going to make you more upset about your situation. So I just essentially push it off to the side and move on with my exam. So the yeah, only thing, the only takeaway message I get is, okay, you went to a chiropractor. That's okay. We'll just try to make sure that we don't do exactly what your chiropractor did. And mm-hmm. so in the sense of if you receive any kind of manual approach, I won't do it. I won't, I won't drive. Mm-hmm. I won't go through that same, that same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, obviously again, we've had like people say, Oh, physical therapy. The most common one I hear is like, I went to physical therapy because my primary care told me to, right? So they're getting a referral to, to PT, which is crazy to me. You, it, In my perception, Carla, you guys are just flooded with referrals from primary cares or, or, and surgeons. And, and we're like hacking it out on our own. <laughs> we're not getting a lot of referrals. There are certainly doctors out there, chiros out there who get a ton of referrals from doctors, but... um. I think that's a, a big difference in the profession. But anyways, they say like I went and it made me worse. And oftentimes what my perception is, is like, okay, you were given stability exercises and you have some large uh, range of motion or mobility deficit somewhere. We just haven't found it, right? You're, you're, you have a big asymmetry in your hips or somebody and, or something, and, and, but you're giving, somebody's just applying bilateral stabilization exercises to you and not not honoring that lack of, or that, that, uh, asymmetry or something like that. Cause I can't think of anything that PTs do that would really make somebody worse, right? Like exercise in general makes most people better, but the right exercise is what makes people better. Not any exercise. Mm. And I, and again, the word worse implies that their, their perception of their, of their selves is, is, is worse. And I would, 
first need to figure out the context of why they feel quote unquote worse. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. Like there's, um, there's people who come in, I think with an expectation and if it's not delivered, um, then they automatically deem that that therapist or provider was not successful. And so um, that's the, the, in the context of what you see and what I see, we likely see people who have tried a channel of care elsewhere Mm -hmm. and then arrive to us hoping for relief, which makes it much harder on both of our ends. Because we yeah. have to essentially, you know, challenge their paradigm because already they're already under this idea that something didn't work or is, is going to work. And then we as therapists have to navigate that in, 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 in order to figure out what's the best fitted approach and then go from there. And I, it's, it's been tough. I think the hardest part now is that I truthfully believe that chiropractors and PTs should be MSK primary care providers, period. Like, like, I like, agree. That yeah. it is like the amount of skill we have in providing a, an actual differential diagnostic exam is far superior than what a PCP can provide. And oh, yeah, better yet, better yet, um, the PCP should be handling other things, other complaints, you know, and yeah. um, make it worse. Some PCPs drive even poor narrative in the management of their MSK problems. Mm-hmm. And so um, that causes problems in and of itself. And so yeah. I've been really trying to get people to understand, like, let's get you in our office for direct examination as step number one, before you move on to going to the ER or your PCP as step number one. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not bashing physicians. It's just that PC two. I just, they just see a wide breadth of of presentation that we, we don't. And so we're good at what we do. So use us properly. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, I I agree with you on that. And, you know, the breadth of what a, a PCP is going to see in a day is, it's incredible. You know, they're going to see everything from a sinus infection to low back pain to, uh, a, you know, whatever you want to say, a, a painful laceration on the, the shin. And it's like, well, it's not even regionally specific for God's sakes, you know, it's like, it's not even body specific either. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. And, um, it was funny. I had a, a friend, Jason, and he's a, very smart guy. And, uh, he said that early on when he was marketing to, to PCPs, he would say like, do you have people with low back pain? And of course they say yes. And instead of saying, oh, well, we can handle all those people. He said, he got real specific and he said, okay, if they can't, if they bend forward like a toe touch, but they can't touch the floor and they have low back pain, that's a great referral for me, you know? And it was an interesting approach because he was giving the the doctor the ability to say like, oh, this person's not a good person and this one is. But he said one time we're, he said after a couple of years, a guy would say like, oh man, I did, I did, an, I did a low back exam on this guy. And uh, that's why I sent him to you. And he goes, oh really? What, what, what were your exam findings? Well, I couldn't goes. touch the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, in his mind, that was a sufficient low back exam. And yeah, and, 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 and frankly, that's what happens. That's that's yeah. literally what happens. They that's the problem is that they are not getting a sufficient MSK exam. You know, well, the doctor's not getting a sufficient training in an MSK exam, right? It's right. like, like, hey, this is this is not a hard subject. But it was it's interesting too because you and I have talked about the SFMA. Jason is a is an SFMA instructor, and he said what I was also teeing myself up with is they can't touch the ground, so the chance of them having something I can work on is really high. Right. You have a dysfunctional pattern along with pain, but it's like, so I'm really getting the people that are really good. I don't want the person that can fricking palm the floor and has pain because now you're, 
you're into a world of instability. And that's not as easy to fix as, excuse me, as the, the ones that most likely have a mobility restriction. You know, you could change those in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and you, again, looking at the perception of social media, going back to our, like our primary conversation here, like, I, I, I think we're getting further away from that. <laughs> like when we're thinking about, I think the agenda should be to, to propel our professions forward by having mm-hmm. us as a more accessible provider. Yet social media is, is making us a manual therapy focused short term result clinician. We're going in opposite directions, like diametrically opposed. Like they, this is, this is, this is something that is going to be harder to, to achieve because if you talk to people, people don't talk to a chiropractor or a PT first for advice, medical advice on their issue, on their injury. They don't talk about, Oh, like I've been having this pain. Like, what do you think it is? Should I go talk to a doctor? They're like, can you work on it? Can you like stretch it, massage it, manipulate? We get it all the time. It. Like, Oh, you also work on necks. You also work on hips. It's like you work on. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, like it, it, it's more than just that. Like I can guide you through a healing regimen to get you back. And people don't understand that that's what we do. And yeah. I think that's, that's largely part, largely due to media influence, you know? Um, and matter of fact, you don't see a lot of social media people, even the chiropractors, even essentially providing thorough education. Um, at least from what patient, I see. Patient education? Patient education. And I think, yeah. I think some of them do. Um, but like, for example, there's another guy, Edward McLaughlin. He's out of, I think, Florida um, that I follow. He's really great. He's super intellectual and talks to his patients. But to get to the education component of his 40-minute treatment session, you have to watch the first 32 minutes. Or, you you know, it's, it's eight minutes of a 40-minute YouTube video. Like, it's not yeah. going to be valuable to a viewer because they've been watching 32 minutes of manual therapy. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, It's a tough one, man, because even when I've injured myself, you know, like, you know, I know the anatomy, I know the physiology, I know that. And, um, I don't want education. Like I already have it. I want manual therapy. I want reassurance. I want hands-on, even though I might go like, oh, the best thing for me right now is to, you know, have a glass of wine and put a smile on my face. Like that would be as effective as anything else I could possibly undergo. It's like, I don't want to do that. I got to get somebody to dig in there, you know, whatever. And it, mm. I know and, that cognitively, I don't know it like behaviorally. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one thing I'm trying to also promote as well is that the therapeutic alliance is, is I think, so, so good of a placebo effect that we can produce a lot of good result. And yeah. if, we don't, if we don't get that established, um, then we're not going to get the results that we're looking for to essentially make us a valid profession. Dude, I gotta, I gotta say that that is something you guys do incredibly well at your site is the, if you were to do like a, a, you know, uh, happiness factor of the staff, right? Like you're probably the most outgoing and, and boisterous of, um, uh, you and, and one of your female counterparts, the brunette and some of the other ones are more quiet. Yeah. But the, I'm just saying the therapist. So Jess, you and Jess are probably the most like, we know when you're on the floor, other people can kind of blend in, but the PTAs in general have a very, very positive attitude, right? And they're smiling, they're joking, they're young, they're vibrant. And I look, anytime I've been there, it's basically the room is 50% Medicare and 50% everybody else, right? But I look at the effect that that young energy and smiling and having fun and joking around 
the effect that has on when the old crusty people are in there doing, you know, the 82 year olds doing the rotator cuff rehab and it, it, it matters. Like it, you know, that, like you're saying that therapeutic alliance, that's setting the, the tone for it in a very positive way, you know? And I think we need to, yeah, we just, we got We need people to recognize how good that feels. Like there's, there's something, there's something so huge from that. And there were days where I'm like, man, my, you know, my range of motion is not coming along fast enough or I feel weak. Like, and I think with knee pain or knee surgery, like one of the things like feeling weak, getting up out of a chair, feeling like I can't squat down, which are things I've done, you know, and I can't, I can't lunge, which in my profession, like doing a lot of adjustments are done in the fencer stance or lunge position. I can't do that. It's like, you're taking away a third of my profession, my professional skill set with that. So that weakness feeling really ate at me. Like that's one thing I've, I've really dealt with, but getting in there and having that positive attitude of everybody around me, I'm like, okay, it's not bad. It's going to get better. You know, like the, the, the sun will rise again tomorrow. That helped me. And I can only imagine what people don't have my background are thinking too. You know, and so how do we how do we promote that on, on social media? How do we promote that yeah. on, on a platform, right? How do we? Yeah, let that's people, a great question. You know, how do we let people realize that their a commitment to a rehabilitative treatment plan will produce the result? Um, and I, I I don't have an answer. You know, if you can create that in a fifteen second reel, then we're going to be millionaires. You know what I mean? So, yeah, exactly. Because um, it's the same thing colleges are going through, right? Like, oh, you could. Be a, in five minutes, you could be an entrepreneur that makes a million dollars a year. And people are like, really? And then colleges are like, yeah, or stick with it for four years and get a degree. And you're seeing they're having a tough time because you can't, you can't highlight an education over in, in a reel as well. Right. Yeah. And it's a transformative thing. And you ask, you ask young people, oh, why do you want to do chiropractic? Why do you want to do PTO? Oh, I want to be that guy that like provides the hands and does the thing and makes them feel better. You know, that's, um, that's the motivating force that puts them through college right. to become one of us. Yeah. And um, they re- then I think you come in here and you realize you're like, wait, I don't, maybe I'm not as effective as I once thought, you know, maybe yeah. this is much harder than I thought. This is not, this won't be enough. And yeah. um, I, I always have, you know, concerns about the profession. I don't know about your profession, uh, Josh, but if we don't take action, PT will phase out. I think. On you're, the way, you're really concerned with that. I am in in because in my mind, you guys are so anchored in the medical system. Like again, you're you're getting the referrals for most from PCPs. You're getting the referrals for most MSK conditions, and so I don't think that you could phase out even if you wanted to, because so many other professions rely on you. Hmm. Or maybe phase out in the sense where our value no longer improves. Well, okay. That's an interesting one because like, that's an area where I wish you guys fought harder because like a lot of chiropractors will ditch an insurance plan. So it's, it's, it's again, it's just two sides of the coin. There are a lot of chiropractors who say, hey, listen, I'm not taking $24 for an hour long visit anymore, right? Like uh, forget you, I'm getting off your insurance plan. and. uh and so then there's less and less providers for that insurance carrier, right? Let's just say like, um, I'm just using an example, United. Let's say that, you know, there was a hundred chiropractors uh, on their panel five years ago, and now they have 50. They're like, oh, we got to do something, provide more chiropractors, right? And so the pressure is raise your fees, right? The problem I see is like PTs, you guys have so many more 
therapists on those plans, but it's like the profession moves at a glacier pace to finally say like, no, F you, you guys are paying us too little for the care that we, we do. And in those large group formats, the, you know, the negotiation and the other stuff like, oh, well, we'll take it because it opens up this, you know, you look at the hospital, they, they're not real good at thin slicing going, we're not taking United for PT, but we will take it for, you know, inpatient surgery or something like that. And I wish PTs put more pressure for those musculoskeletal conditions on insurance companies because as soon as that value gets just sucked out of the system, you're right. I think it will be a difficult profession to be in because you're going to be getting $9 for, you know, oh, rehab this person for an hour for nine bucks. It's like the only way to do that is by delivering horrible care. There's no other financial model that works. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I I dabble a little bit in my professional sector in the association that represents the state of Nevada uh, through yeah. the, the APTA, and I realized that the the re, the reason why our profession doesn't seem valuable to other non APTA members is it seems like the APTA is not doing enough. But you realize is that the APTA is doing enough, except they're just doing enough in small capacities. In you know again. The fact that PT is represented in such a wide array of settings, that's where it becomes difficult. So maybe one year they're working solely on home, you know, sniffs. You know, they're working so hard on just getting better coverage in sniffs. And then outpatient. What are sniffs for my listeners? Skilled nursing facilities, skilled <laughs> nursing homes. And so like they're working so hard on doing that and they just simply yeah. don't have the energy and capacity and the money to work on, you know, outpatient orthopedics. And so then what people, percentage is outpatient orthopedics in your profession? Do you know? Like probably what 30%, I would say 30 to 40%, wow, maybe less. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, even like in my class alone of, of 40 PTs that graduated my Toro class, I would say there's only maybe 10 of us that work in outpatient now. Wow. Yeah. And all of them have gravitated toward some type of like inpatient or home health sector. And yeah. I know a lot of that is financially, financially motivated. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that aspect of it. Cause I think that's something both our profession are facing. Why do Pete, what, what's your perception of people you graduated? Why do they leave the profession? I'll, I'll go first. I mean, like there's a lot sure. of people go out, they start their clinic and they don't make as much money as they want, but I think they could get by with that, except that we typically run our own practices and therefore the business owner pressures combined with how little you, you make are what breaks people's backs. If they were to work, like in a situation where you, like what you work in, where, you know, you work for an employer, they handle all the marketing and facilities and cleaning services and front desk staff and make the same amount they do. I don't think they would have left the profession, but that's less achievable in our profession. And I would say that, that the failed business owner kind of um, situation has sucked a lot of people out of the chiropractic profession, even though they might've been amazing chiropractors. Um, I think a lot of people like the same thing. I think money, money just causes a lot of stress on them and they need to think about how do I pay off this loan with an interest? And I I don't think this route that I'm doing full-time outpatient is going to do it. And they will do that combined with some other added job and just the overall, just essentially the effort and strain on that just causes, I think to a point where people break and crumble. Um, and especially like I know for a fact, I've had three people leave already PT. One is now a paramedic firefighter. The other one is transitioning slowly to IT and tech. 
And the other one, I don't, I haven't, I haven't been in touch with, but I are do these see them. Like, classmates or these coworkers? These are all classmates. Yeah. Classmates. Yeah. So no classmates. Longer. So three people that the left the profession out of how big was your class again? 40. So you're knocking on 10%. Right? Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the, you only know those three there, there might be others that have left the profession, but, um, uh, and I was going to say, how long have you been out of school? Six years. Okay. So one person every other year kind of thing. That's yeah, not too bad. And, and, and I don't know, like, I just feel like there's like when people, when people, I think another thing too, is it also could be like a sociocultural thing. You know, they're finding patients to be way too needy. They mm-hmm. don't collaborate with their therapist very well. They're getting emotionally burdened by just having to put out fires every day. And they just kind of want to have a little bit more agency and control over their care. And, uh, and if they can't do that, they just get too tired of like, like part of my, you know, part of my French with the BS. So just, I don't want to put up with people who continue to treat me poorly. And um, I just don't want to deal with an environment in that kind of sense, you know, yeah. money aside. Right. So like either one, the money's too much or B, the emotional stress is too much. And I just don't want to put up with that stuff. Do they get that? You hear that complaint typically coming from the, their employer or the patient group? The patient group. Really? Yeah. Man, again, this is like a perceptions issue. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because again, I've only had the perception of going to PT at your facility, right? Like mm-hmm. I haven't engaged in anywhere else. And again, I'm struck by the positive outlook, the, the, the upbeat, you know, kind of attitude of everybody. Everybody's smiling. Um, you're outgoing. So I've had a very positive experience, right? And I can't imagine anybody in that room, even the crusty old guys being degrading or frustrating or anything like that. But again, that's my, you have a very high functioning, more white collar than blue, more, you know, like the socioeconomics demographics are working in your favor to have a easy facility and not everybody's going to work at one of those, right? Mm. Yeah. And I, and I know if I know like, like travel therapists, which is a highly paying job, usually get service to go sent out to those places where they have those types of other demographics. You did not mention the demographic that I'm not seeing a uh, matter of fact, even I, when I see somebody who doesn't have good health literacy, uh, I am incredibly impatient with them because <laughs> they are asking things that are completely, you know, way too, way too out there in terms of like what they think is a realistic outcome. And um, I have to try to bring it in. But if I bring it in, then they just get upset. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, and I'm like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm the professional here. I have, and I've seen hundreds of these, of these cases, like, and you're here, you are telling me that I can't, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> like, so, yeah. and, and, and I'm, I don't want to go on a rant here, but the understanding is that there is that burden and that burden essentially burdens people out. And they just, they just stop because of that, you know? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've so, stayed and I, you know, I've stayed in my place because people are so kind to me, my patients and my staff have right. been so kind to me. That's re- literally the only reason that I've stayed. Matter of fact, if I left, I could have gone for a much better paying job elsewhere, but I stay for the environment and the culture. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a, you know, that's not a, an uncommon thing, right? I mean, you see it in teachers all the time. We have, my kids go to a charter school and those teachers are not making as much as they would at public school sometime, but they're like, but these kids want to be here. The parents want them to be here and administration is very supportive. And they're like, yeah, especially if it's the second income in their family, they're, they don't need that extra 10 to 15 grand a year in exchange for that amount of stress. You know, they, they get to do what they want. So I think that's very, 
uh, common in, in all professions, but I'm glad to hear that. And I, and I would say like, if you can't make it work at your site, dude, it ain't going to work. In any, it's right. not going to work in PT. Cause I think like that's just such a great, um, great version of it, you know? Right. Yeah. Cool. You know, and I think I'll learn more about the chiropractic profession, like working with you in the future, but there's still a lot of things that I have questioned about kind of your scope of practice, which we'll probably yeah. learn more organically in another conversation. Yeah. Just, I mean, easy way to say it is chiropractic is the best and we can do everything. So cool. if you just remember those two points, you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carlo, this is good. We should do this again because I do enjoy talking about these different perspectives. I think my big takeaways, uh, you know, how little exercise rehab education you guys get or physical, what do you call it? Physical exercise? Yeah. yeah, Just exercise in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's surprising. Um, uh, and there's a couple other things you you've shared that I, I, I think are good to reset my lens as to what is physical therapy all about the expectations of patients and then the social media perception. So I hope we can do an, another version of these and of this and talk about it, uh, about the differences and cause it, you know, just helps us understand. And, and I think we should be working together much more often than, than acting like they're two totally different professions, you know, it's, right. it's a uh, the grits and polenta, like it, the, the ingredients are the same thing, man, but we're just calling it two different things. Yeah. You know, and a matter of fact, um, you know, on my podcast, let's talk rehab. I talk about these things. We talk about yeah. industry features that PTs really need to start really having conversations about because if we, if, if we don't talk about that, then where, where do we, where do we start and taking action to help yeah. promote our profession? Promote your podcast real quick. Let people know uh, what it's called and where they can find it. Yeah. So um, I, I currently have a podcast that's currently um, collecting dust right now, just because my co-host Gerald is currently amidst moving states uh, to Arizona, opening another uh, PT clinic, but it is titled Let's Talk Rehab. Um, and the scope of the podcast is uh, one, educational for early clinicians, young clinicians, and two, just a, like a perspective type of discussion on just the, on just different facets of PT. Cool. All right. And I'm guessing it's available on Apple, iTunes, yeah, Spotify. Yeah, the, the whole nine yards. Yeah, everything, Spotify, all that. So, sounds good. All right. Well, Carlo, this has been a, a great conversation. I really appreciate the time today. For people who might want to get in touch or ask questions, you mind if they reach out via Instagram or anything like that? Right. So if you want to contact me on my email, it's going to be kar.mylastnamearciaga, A-R-C-I-A-G-A at Gmail. And similarly, my Instagram handle will be carrciaga as well. All right. And just so everyone knows, that's Carlo with a K. Carlo with a K, correct. Yeah. All right. Well, Carlo, I appreciate the time today. And as I wrap up this episode, I will wrap it up the same way, which says, uh, Go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of, everybody. Thanks so much, Carlo. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. Got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.